Hello, this is Mike Mazzola with the Hard Sun Podcast. Thank you for listening today. I would like to start with a couple of quotes. First, from the 13th century poet Rumi. In the bleakest of your moment, wait with no fear. Another quote that's attributed to both Ralph Waldo Emerson and Martin Luther King Jr. When it is dark enough, you can see the stars. I have a beautiful interview to share with you today. Um, Stella Blessing is um, uh, a, the, the daughter of friends in, in the community where I live in Colorado Springs. And I heard her listen, I heard her speak publicly at an event several months ago. And recently I was able to catch up with her after communicating off and on over a few months. At around the age of 12, Stella began struggling and she'll explain this in the interview, but outward struggle began, um, behavioral issues, uh, drug use in and out of rehab and treatment centers. Um, she said it started around age 12, but she said internally, she feels like she always has struggled for as long as she can remember. And over the years, she tried many things, therapy, acupuncture, meditation. Everyone was helping her family, herself, her friends, spiritual teachers. Nothing seemed to work. About 10 years later, she had a spiritual awakening as she was hitting rock bottom. It's an incredible story. And for the past 10 years, she's lived in this shifted consciousness, one where she's moved past a lot of the things that caused her a lot of grief. It's really remarkable. It makes, it makes one at when, when people go through these things, it makes one ask, how bad does it need to get for any of us before we awaken? How dark does the dark need to be before it finally releases? The famous spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle, who wrote the books, The Power of Now, in a new earth. He was elevated several years ago with the help of Oprah Winfrey. He's now a famous spiritual teacher and his journey began in the same way that, in a very similar way that Stella's did. He suffered deeply as a younger person, really, really deep, dark thoughts, depression, anxiety, and one day, he woke up. He claims that the darkness became so deep that it finally woke him up. And if you read his books or look online, you'll see it's an incredible story of awakening where he just lived on a park bench, I believe, for a couple of years, just living in bliss, living in the present moment and centered. Story after story like this happen. People like Eckhart on a higher level that, are, that have notoriety and fame. People like Stella and other everyday people just like all of us that have these spiritual awakenings. And it seems to be tied to the darkness. I say... We just get right to this interview with Stella. She's wonderful, as you'll see. After I interviewed her, I started taking notes the evening after I talked to her and just was trying to channel her in the discussion. And the words that came out about her that I wrote down were authentic, human, soulful, caring, courageous, pragmatic, charismatic, 
humble and confident, sensitive, powerful, open, inquisitive. Can't wait for you to hear this interview. Hi, I'm here today with Stella Blessing, a very special guest. How are you today, Stella? I'm doing well, thank you. We met each other at an event, or heard you speak at an event a few months ago. Was it the fall or winter, maybe? I feel like it was cold, so yeah, yeah. probably fall. Yeah, we're here in Colorado Springs. Uh, it It was at an event for Homeward Pikes Peak, a local nonprofit that helps people experiencing homelessness, helps people in poverty. And you spoke publicly at the event with your mom um, and talking about some, some things you had had, your life, um, some life circumstances. And really it was captivating. Like maybe there were 50 people there or hundred people. And I, I just noticed when we were there listening to you, like we all just kind of sat in silence and it was really beautiful. Yeah, it was a very cool experience to get to do that. And especially, um, with my mom too, since she was there getting to witness it all firsthand. So I was pretty honored to be asked to do that. Yeah. Was that the first time you'd spoken publicly or? That was the first time I had spoken publicly. Um, I've shared my story quite a bit, like within recovery groups. Um, but all of that is obviously anonymous. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, actually, I mean, we're in Colorado Springs. Um, I know your parents actually, um, I just met you that night, but I've known your mom for years. Uh, we used to work together in the real estate business and I actually know your dad. Um, I used to own a retail store in town and he was my landlord. So we joke here in Colorado Springs that it's the it's the biggest small town in America. Yeah. It's like everybody kind of knows everybody. And um, yeah, it's it's it was wonderful to see you and your mom speak. Um, your parents, your dad actually um, was really good to me when I opened that retail story, was really supportive um, and, and gave me discounted rent and was really helpful to me and kind of helped me along the way. And Yeah, um, they're good people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. Um, so yeah, we've got a story here to tell. You've got an amazing story to tell, but let's, we've kind of got some, some questions that we ask here for the format of the show. So let's kind of go through those. Um, tell us, you know, question number one, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, your family, um, anything you want to say. Yeah. Um, so I grew up here in Colorado Springs Um, and I have lived in Denver now since I was 18. So, uh, 13 years and I have three kids, uh, eight year old twin boys and a four year old daughter, um, a full-time single mom. So I have them all the time. And what else? Um, what do you do for work, school? So uh, for work, I do um, like content strategy and branding. And so I'm able to work from home. And that's amazing to have like flexible hours with my kids. Um, and then I am also in school, although probably the most part-time student that CU Denver has ever encountered. Um, I take basically one class a year because that's what it takes um, for them to not disenroll me and start my degree audit over. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got about eight classes left. So in eight years. <laughs> no. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. What will your degree, what's your focus on studying? So I'm getting my bachelor's in psychology with um, a minor in human development and family relations. Nice. Huh? Nice. You must be busy with your kids. I am. Yeah. They um, all do different activities, soccer for all three, gymnastics for my daughter, basketball for my twins. Um, and then all three of them also do therapy of various sorts. Um, I have my own therapy and school for all of them. So yeah, we're all busy, busy. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, you are got a lot going on in school, um, raising a raising a young family, uh, working, uh, lots of extracurricular activities. So busy life. 
Um, tell us, you know, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of how maybe you move through the day. And of course, there's a lot more to it. You have lots of friends and people in your life and family, but, but, um, you know, tell us a little more, you know, if that's how you move kind of nuts and bolts through, you know, through your everyday life, tell us a little bit about who you really are kind of, uh, spiritually speaking. Yeah. So, um, I think, Spiritually speaking, um, you know, as I mentioned, I've been in recovery um, for over 10 years now. And through that process, have been introduced to lots of um, spiritual principles, which are parts of like the recovery groups that I'm in. But also, um, I think they are the same principles that you would find in any organized religion. And, you know, so it's things like, you know, trying to be a good person, trying not to cause harm, trying to own up to it when I have caused harm and make uh, make amends and just generally like trying to do the right thing. Um, you know, obviously I'm human and I fall short, but I would say that, um, you know, in the past 10 years, that has been a big part of my life, like just constantly trying to grow and be a better person and um, yeah. Yeah. The, um, and you, you, you've mentioned a couple of times as you were talking there, 10 years, 10 mm -hmm. years of recovery, and we're going to get to the story of, mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, what kind of brought us to doing this today. Um, but in these last 10 years, you had something happen, which you'll explain here, mm -hmm. but you've, you went from kind of a, 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 a tough place. And then now you've been in recovery and, and you're moving a little more, it sounds like a little more spiritually in the world and kind of a, a seeing things that maybe at a, at a bigger light. Yeah, I'm definitely, um, I've become much more open-minded about things. Um, yeah, I grew up as an atheist, um, and was adamantly atheist my whole life, um, kind of until I had that experience and slowly just began to like seek and figure out or, you know, attempt to figure out like what is going on. Um, why are there all these synchronicities? Like, how is this stuff happening? Um, and I certainly don't have any of the answers, um, but I've kind of developed, you know, my own beliefs about um, the universe and um, people and our interactions with one another and, um, yeah, considered things in a spiritual way, which I had never done prior to that. Yeah. And, and prior to that, we're kind of pointing to it as we're yeah. talking here, it's like 10 years and something happened. <laughs> um, let, let's kind of jump to that. Um, you had, um, if I could set the stage a little bit, when I saw you speak, the story at a high level was when you were younger, you had a lot of trouble, a lot of things happened. Um, and you were really struggling. Your parents were struggling with how to handle it. You were having a hard time figuring out, you know, how to get your life straightened out. And then you, you asked for help from the higher power. And if I'm getting this wrong, you'll, you'll yeah. set me straight, but yeah. you asked for help from the higher power one day and a series of things happened. And all of a sudden it kind of shook you into kind of a different headspace. And so, yep. Maybe you could tell us, you know, um, a little bit about your background and the, maybe the trouble you were having and how it led to, you know, the experiences of, of, uh, your, some, you know, kind of awakening or whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think my parents, um, and friends, everybody would probably say that like the problems began around like 12. Um, and I think that is when like the external problems began. Um, however, long before that, um, I was so uncomfortable in my skin. I was such an anxious, sensitive kid. Um, and I, I really, I just had a hard time with like everything, you know, the kids in school, uh, my parents divorced, like you name it. I just, um, took it all in and I had, um, much stronger reactions than a lot of other people, but I got great grades. Um, I played soccer at a really competitive level and, um, around 10, 11, 12 ish, um, developed an eating disorder. And by the time I was 12, 13, actually, I think, um, 
I don't recall, went to my first treatment center. I think I was 13 um, and did sort of outpatient for that. And by then I was cutting myself. And um, basically that's how, you know, my whole teenage years were just an escalation of one thing after another. Like, you know, my parents would send me to treatment. I would come home and get worse. And they'd send me away to treatment again and I'd come back and get worse. And um, I was arrested several times um, for, you know, various charges, running away, drug possession. Um, I was kicked out of college my first attempt. And, you know, really nothing that happened um, seemed like it could actually get me sober. Um, You know, I went through all these things. um, And the last, when I turned 18, I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, thank God my parents can't send me away again. Um, But within a matter of months, I was begging my dad to send me back to rehab. And um, so I went back to treatment again that time. And it just didn't matter. It didn't matter how bad the consequences had gotten. Um, The complete emptiness that I felt like uh, because I was so you know, all of the programs, all of the rehabs for the most part are 12 step geared and they talk about this higher power and it's not a Christian higher power. It can be any higher power you want, but I just could not like at all wrap my head around that. And, um, and it really, it made me struggle to, to make the 12 step stuff work. And so I continued to use drugs, um, and, um, just generally like destroy my life, destroy the lives of those around me for um, until I was 21. And when I was 21, I got arrested again and was facing a pretty long um, prison sentence because I had um, a previous arrest. And, and I remember getting out of jail and swearing to myself after having like detoxed in jail that I was never ever going to use again. And by the time I was like driving home, um, I had already like called the dealer and was ready to go again. And, um, that was June 1st that I got arrested and June 10th, this was all 2012, June 10th, I went back to treatment again. And, um, to be honest, like the first, week or so there, um, I did not think that it would be any different. And I was feeling, I wouldn't say I was suicidal, um, because I didn't actively want to kill myself. Um, but I wanted to die. (laughs) So I don't know what you call that. (laughs) Maybe, maybe kind of hitting bottom a little bit and and it's not, you know, I'm just kind of trying to feel off of what you're saying, but you wanted to die. I mean, you're just hitting bottom. Right. I just wanted to stop hurting everybody. Um, you know, I felt so bad about everything I had done. And yet at the same time, I really believed that as soon as the 30 days were up, I was going to get out and do it all over again. And I just couldn't imagine anything shifting that would allow me, um, to do things differently. And the rehab that I was at that time, they made us um, every morning do like um, meditation, I think. I can't remember what they called it, but in the spiritual center. And so they had this like, you know, one building with like some stained glass and we would all have to sit there quietly meditating. And I remember just looking around and feeling so bitter and so resentful because everybody else looked so peaceful yeah. and content. And I was... Um, you know, just miserable. And one day, you know, again, probably about like a week into it, um, I just had this thought um, that occurred to me that was like, you know, I had never tried praying. And everybody says that like, that's the answer. And it was like the one thing that I hadn't tried at that point. You know, I had tried like bougie treatment centers. I had tried wilderness treatment centers and behavioral modification and acupuncture and um, medication and, you know, mental hospitals and everything. <laughs> so yeah, it's over the course of yeah. t- 10 years ish, right? If yeah. you were 10 to 12 when this started yeah. and you were 21 at the time when you yeah. were at this point, like 10 years of those most, you know, developmentally important years of your life. Right. Um, and you tried it all. 
Like yeah. you had parents that were helping you. You were trying to help yourself. That's what was mm -hmm. fascinating about when we heard you sp speak um, mm -hmm. at that event. It was just like, it's not like nobody was paying attention. Right. You were trying. They were trying. Everybody was trying. Yeah. Everybody was trying, um, but with no success. And I know that when I went to this last treatment center, like um, neither of my parents or my sister or anybody else had like any hope that it would work. Um, and and so in that spiritual center, um, doing the meditation thing, I have that thought. And so in my mind, I was like, you know, okay, I'll say a prayer. And the prayer was essentially like, all right, God, if you're listening, which obviously you're not because you don't fucking exist, like, then I need some help. And I sat there kind of like expecting to feel like warm fuzzies or something like and felt nothing and, um, you know, continued to be miserable. And anyways, the meditation was like 10, 15 minutes and we, we leave the building and I'm looking around for my burning bush and I'm like, you know, noticing that like the wind is sort of blowing and like the leaves are moving. And I'm like, well, maybe these are like subtle signs, but that is not going to cut it. And so again, I said to like the universe, um, you know, higher power, God, whatever. I was like, look, God, I need like a sign, you know, like you have got to show me that this is real, like nothing else will work. And and as I was doing this, I'm walking back to the cottage um, and I thought I saw a dragonfly, but I looked and it wasn't a dragonfly. And my dad had told me a story about how he had basically gone from being an atheist to an agnostic because of a weird like series of events that he had had with dragonflies. And so again, in my mind, I was like, oh, if that had been a dragonfly, that would have been a sign, but it's not a dragonfly. So obviously not a sign. And I sit down to smoke a cigarette and immediately um, am just swarmed by dragonflies. And um, I mean, I'm not, you know, a scientist. I don't know their natural habitat, but we're like, we were in the middle of Aurora. Like there wasn't water around. Like it seemed like a really weird spot. I hadn't seen them before. And suddenly they're just like everywhere. And um, so as m most people would probably at this point have had enough, but I was like, wow, what a weird coincidence. And I went inside um, feeling really weird and we only got five minutes on the computer. So I like very quickly Googled meaning of dragonflies, printed the first article so that I would have time to email. And when I got it, I was like reading through about how dragonflies can symbolize like new beginnings and, um, you know, fresh start and all of these different things that just seemed like very um, relevant to where I was at in life. And so I was like thinking it was pretty weird. And we went to yoga and I went to go get my yoga mat out of you know, the closet. And on the shelf in the closet was a box filled with dragonfly stickers. And again, just like super random and weird. And at this point, I'm thinking like, okay, maybe there's something, you know, going on here. And we went back after yoga um, and I went to get the phone from the desk and noticed that on the fake plant on the desk, there was a dragonfly hair clip attached to the plant. And this has all happened within like two hours of when I first was like, show me something. <laughs> and, um, and yeah. And so, and then there were like a few more small little things, um, you know, during that, like I called my dad and he said that my, there was a dragonfly necklace on my sister's dresser, but I wasn't there. So I can't verify that. Um, but yeah, it was just so bizarre. And I think the final piece of it for me, there was a woman I was in treatment with, um, who was much older and very Christian. And I went over to talk to her about what was going on. She was reading her big book and I was like, Linda, like, listen to this crazy story. And she was like, oh yeah, God. And then went back to read. And she's like, you're not going to believe what I just, um, you know, read in the big book. And it was this part in We Agnostics, which is like one of the chapters that was like, we found that, um, 
God revealed himself when we drew near to him or, you know, I'm terrible at quoting anything, but that's the vibe of it. And I was like, all this time, like all I had to do was like seek and try and like be a bit open-minded. And then suddenly I could like see all of this. And I wouldn't say that I was convinced at that point that there was something, um, but it sort of catapulted me into this place of open-mindedness where I was then able to start kind of exploring and, um, and yeah, it's, my life's been radically different ever since. <laughs> That's incredible. That's yeah. an incredible story. Um, I'm sitting here, like, as you're saying it, I mean, I kind of knew it was coming cause I've yeah. heard you speak before, but I'm, I just, I just have like, I'm just vibrating with goosebumps over here. Um, because it was this moment and you, you know, you have more to more to say there's, you know, things and how your life started to change from that point. But, but you went from this incredible darkness kind of hitting bottom. And then all of a sudden things shifted with the, the dragonfly experiences. Yeah. And I think, um, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you when we spoke, but I had had a moment, um, so when I was 18, you know, in hindsight, it's obviously you can see things so clearly in hindsight. I'm like, here was more synchronicities. Um, but when I was 18, um, I got a cat, a little tiny rescue kitten, and she was so terrified and scared. And the night that I got her, my roommate and I had this big party and I felt so awful the next day that I wound up deciding to get sober again. And I made it like 90 days that time. But right after that had happened, I was driving to Colorado Springs and um, from Denver. And on the way down, saw like five of these little like who rescued who paw print stickers. And at the time, I was like, wow, that's such a weird coincidence. But then again, now I'm like, that was like the universe or something trying to tell me like, you're on this path, this lines up, go this way. And, um, and I ignored all of those things that happened. There was another time where I was in a sober living house at like 19 and had decided I was going to go relapse and I didn't have a car at the time. And so I went to the bus stop and I'm waiting for the bus stop to go to my dealer's and all of a sudden, this is up in Aurora again, there's a guy I knew from Colorado Springs like yelling my name and he comes over and it was somebody that I used to use with, but he was now sober and he's like, let's just go get tattoos. And like we went and got tattoos instead. And so there were all of these times where he was trying to the universe you. was like lining up and these weird coincidences like what are the odds that i'm going to run into somebody from colorado springs at a bus stop in aurora ex the exact time, time that i'm to trying use. to yeah. relapse like yeah just weird <laughs> no yeah so there's a lot i mean there's a lot to unpack here like like the like the synchronicities or the signs sounds like were happening along the way 18 21 right. But then something finally clicked at mm -hmm. that with the, with the dragonflies. Yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, so if that was 10 years ago, right? It was mm -hmm. 2012. Um, maybe kind of fast forward because it seems like, and I, and you and I have talked offline and actually what this, you know, this podcast is kind of built on. I've had similar experiences. Um, mm -hmm. And, and the, 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 the one that happened to me, like the dragonflies that happened to you, um, at first I had a similar thing where I knew something was happening, but it wasn't like light comes screaming down out of the sky and I'm changed forever at that moment. It's like, oh my gosh, like something's actually happening here and it's much bigger than I am. And it, and it kind of shook me awake. It sounds like maybe the dragonflies did that in a way, but it, but it's not, like you said, you, you weren't just changed forever at that moment. It was kind of like shifting you a little bit. So maybe you could talk about like that moment forward and how things kind of unfolded a little bit. Yeah. Um, so after that, I would say I got very curious about God, you know, spirituality, religion. Um, you know, I read, this book called The Case for God, which is like a very scientific way to approaching um, the 
uh, issue of like, is there a God? Is there not a God? Um, and I, you know, at the same time went to like all of these um, sort of spiritual stores and bought like loads of crystals and burned tons of sage and did like guided meditations and was just trying like everything I could to try to make sense of what was happening um, and what had happened. Um, and yeah, I mean, that first year of sobriety, I would say I laid quietly or with a guided meditation like every night. I was really good about it. Um, and and it was helpful and it, you know, it was definitely enlightening. I went to, there's a church in Denver. Um, it's church is kind of a loose term, but it's called like Mile High Church. Um, and that was incredible because it's, you know, not just Christianity, but they blend it with like all these other religions. And it was very cool for me to see how all of these religions, all of these people are essentially saying the same thing. Like they might believe different stories, but they're all telling you to do the same thing, you know, be a good person, grow, do, you know, be honest. And so these principles, um, just overlap. And then through working the 12 steps also, um, it's the same deal. Like the whole point of the 12 steps is to have a spiritual awakening. And the 12 steps come from who again? So it's from like Alcoholics Anonymous. That was where it originated. Um, but they're also used in Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, all of the anonymouses. Yep. And, um, basically it's like the first step is you admit you had a problem. Second step, um, and third step are about, you know, it, um, turning your life over, uh, to God and whatever that might be for you. Fourth step is fourth and fifth are about taking a personal inventory, looking at all the stuff you've done wrong, um, sharing it with another person, six and seven, looking at your defects of character and, um, how you can, um, what it would look like if you didn't have those defects, which, you know, again, like, things along the lines of like being dishonest, being manipulative, um, whatever it might be. Eight and nine are about making amends. Um, and then 10, 11 and 12 are essentially like how you live it. Like, you know, instead of having to like formally write out like a list of everybody you've hurt all the time, it's like, okay, at the end of the day, I can like sit in quiet meditation and like, um, try to look back over my day. And so that really taught me all of these principles um, that I then realized like are not unique to 12-step programs. <laughs> and like, um, you know, I I am still in, involved with the 12-step program that I do, um, but not the way I once was because the whole point for me of the 12-step program is to have a spiritual awakening and to carry that message to others. And I've found that like that does not just apply to like recovery from addiction for me. Like I have to practice um, this all around the board with my kids. Like when I mess up and yell or, um, you know, whatever it may be with my parents, um, with my sister, with my friends in relationships, like um, as, you know, an employee or as a neighbor, like there are just constantly these times where I am able to try to do the right thing and to go back when I've messed up. Yeah. So I would, I don't know, I got off on a bit of a tangent there, but anyways. No, it's yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think. yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I think the other piece of it for me, like in terms of the change that has happened is just realizing that like there's not so much disconnect between people because I always felt really different than everybody. Um, and apart from and sort of my take on spirituality now, which I was mentioning to you earlier, is just that um, like we're just all a part of the universe and it allows me to be, um, I think, more compassionate because I can see that like it's not necessarily like somebody else doing something like we're just all on this journey together um, which I mean, if I had heard somebody saying anything like this 10 years ago, I would have rolled my eyes and thought they were nuts, but that's where I'm at now. <laughs> 
So yeah, we're at this point where you had the dragonflies, you started meditating, going forward from there, things started to get better. Um, but nothing's perfect. There was no, you know, massive awakening where you have, you know, you don't have feelings anymore or you don't have pain or hurt, but life starts to um to move in a better direction. You're sober, you're meditating, you're 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 reaching for those spiritual things. Maybe kind of tell us how, you know, if that was 10 years ago, you know, the, the last 10 years, how life has kind of advanced and how you move a little differently. Yeah. Um, I would say that the number one thing that I can pinpoint that is different is um, my perspective on life. Um, as I mentioned, like from a really young age, I was such a pessimist and I was um, always thought things weren't going to work out. I had a negative view on everything. I was insecure. And today um, and for the past you know, decade, I would say um, that that has shifted significantly. And um, not only do I feel um, you know, self-love and confidence, but I also just generally have a sense that things will be okay. Um, and even so the first few years of my sobriety, um, I was kind of in like this honeymoon and just on such a high from it. Um, and let me, let me ask you that <laughs> yeah. high, was it like, like, like the awakening or it was like, Oh my gosh, I am just, I'm high because I'm sober. Like I like you, I'm finally getting my act together. It was all of it. It was like, um, you know, I, felt like I had friends. I, um, so the first year was really hard. I guess it's like everything gets so mixed up. The first year was hard and lonely cause I had, I got rid of all my old friends and it took me a while to make new ones. Um, but around the one year mark, the cravings had really like subsided. I had these friends, um, I was dating, I was having fun, um, and I was like into this new spiritual world and um, and it was really cool. I made a prayer and meditation meeting my home group, so I was going to that like every week and um, just really on like a high with it all. Life was super good and um, and that continued. I had my kids, um, my twins when I was about two years sober. Um, and that was such a high. And so it was like these beautiful, like life events after life events, got married, had another baby. And, um, when that, when my third child was about a year old, I would say like the dust kind of settled on everything. Um, I was what's 20, seven, I guess. Um, this was probably about four years ago and the dust settled and like the excitement had worn off of everything. And I looked around and realized like I wasn't that happy in my marriage and, you know, thing after thing, my twins both, um, had been diagnosed with autism. And so it was like insane struggles with them on a daily basis and things were just hard, like super hard. And, um, and that um, honestly has kind of continued for the past four years. Like life has been really hard. Obviously, um, you know, we all went through the pandemic or we're all going through it. I don't know what the state of that is. But, um, you know, that I got divorced um, at the end of 2019. My ex, my kid's dad relapsed. And so I became a full-time single mom. Um and it has been some of the most challenging years of my life. I've had all sorts of physical problems, a bunch of surgeries. Um, and despite all of that, um, I still have this sense that like things are going to be okay. I feel positive about it. Um, I have just kind of this belief that like this is just a hard season of life and like it will pass. Um and that is completely new for me. Like I was never able to see the good in things and um, to have that faith that like things will be okay. And today I definitely have that. And, you know, even in those hard times, um, like the past four years, three years, like I have not had to drink or, you know, revert to like my eating disorder or drugs or 
whatever. That's, yeah. a, that's a really good point. You uh, had this incredible honeymoon for a few years and then things got tough again. You're a human being. They're going to get tough, mm -hmm. right? They're not, right. they're not, not going to get tough for the rest of your life. Um, but the fact that you haven't had that desire, you haven't relapsed, you mm -hmm. haven't gone into that dark place again is really telling. Yeah. And I think another thing that has shifted too, um, is just sort of my like realization that without all of the tough times, I would not have gotten to that place where I was opened up enough to have those beautiful experiences. And so as difficult as life can be, I also, um, I feel like there's sort of a purpose with it, you know, like the, the lower the lows, like the higher the highs can be type of deal. And, um, it makes me appreciate it so much more when, things are easier when things are going well. Um, and I feel like what I went through, um, allows me to help other people too, which is pretty amazing and cool. That is amazing. Cool. Yeah. On, on the, on that, I mean, I've got, my brain goes in a million different places. <laughs> like as you were saying things like, Oh, I want to ask her about this or that. Um, but you just kind of had a, um, you said it's, it's good to help people. It's like a segue into the next question of the show. And it's, um, you know, what, what do you, what advice do you have for others? Like you can help other people with, with these experiences. Like what advice do you have for others as they're moving on their journey? They may be in a really dark place. They may be a believer or a non-believer. They may be on some sort of enlightened path, but here we are with 7 billion people on the planet. Um, you know, what advice would you have for, for anyone who might be interested in listening? Yeah, I think, um, my number one thing would just be to like be open-minded and whether um, you're devoutly religious or completely um, agnostic or an atheist, like whatever it may be, just to accept that like we are human. We don't have all of the answers. Like there is all of this evidence um, that we can see if we choose to look at it and form our beliefs. Um, but I think for me, not having it be completely like concrete or I've figured it out. Um, like that sense of mystery adds to it and, um, you know, makes it more magical. It's like the grown up version of like all the, <laughs> you know, fairy tales or whatever. Um, where it's just, it is, it's just like this magical thing that I don't understand and I can't make sense of, but it's so, clear to me that like something is that work. Yeah. And that's that. What is that something to you? Something at work? Like what, what is that to you? It, gosh, it's so hard to define for me. It's incredibly vague. I think if I had to like place a bet and put money on it, um, you know, I gave you the analogy earlier of like, that we are all a part of the universe. Like the universe is this thing and us and every other living thing on it. Therefore, like you and me and every other thing, we are all God. Like you are God. I am God. The trees are God. Like everything is God or the universe. And, um, and another thing that you know, I heard somebody say at one point too was like, if I were to ask you to pass me a Kleenex, you would know that I'm just talking about a tissue. Even if the brand I had wasn't Kleenex, like you would still know what I was talking about. And God is kind of the same way. It's just like this generic term that like when we say God, people know what we mean. Um, even though for me, it's definitely, um, you know, I don't believe that it's like this, you know, person up in the clouds pulling all these strings. Um, but I can't explain it because I don't believe that it's somebody – in control of everything yet at the same time they could make dragonflies appear over my head and it can like you know do all these other like really mystical things so clearly my understanding of it is limited because i can't make sense of that <laughs> and maybe that's maybe that's how it's designed yeah yeah i I don't know. I feel like this might be a good stopping point. You know, like we, the last, you know, you, the last question of the show is, you know, what is happening while we are living? And that's mm -hmm. kind of that spiritual ask. 
Um, and you've been kind of answering it, you know, throughout, like you kind of just answered that, like there's something much greater and more powerful at play. It's vague. It's hard for you to put your finger on it, but you know, deep from deep within that, Mm -hmm. that, that it exists. Yeah. And I would say that like in general, like my life has just gotten so much better. I would like, it hasn't gotten easier, but it is so much, I'm so much more peaceful and content today because of all of that. And like, because of the fact that I've like tried to seek out whatever is going on. <laughs> well, that, that, that's something to, to ask. So try to seek out what's going on. Um, what's your, do you have a daily practice now? Like, like with me, it kind of comes and goes. It's like, I get really deeply spiritual and all of a sudden it's like ADD and I'm just off and I'm being a human again. And it's like, <laughs> I get detached and then it's, I have to, I have to work my way back to it. And when I can move in that spiritual vein, I feel great. And then I get away from it. And I don't feel great. And that's how I've learned to kind of know where I'm at. Do you practice or do you, is it, what, what, what works for you? Yeah. Um, I, I don't have any sort of like set routine around any of it these days. Um, I do a lot of like the foxhole prayers, like when shit's hitting the fan, it's pretty easy for me to remember and be like, all right, like help universe. Um, and I wish it were that easy to remember, um, all the time to kind of like seek that connection. Um, For me though, like my relationship with my kids, I would say is a very spiritual thing. Like I look at my kids and I am like immediately overwhelmed. I guess I shouldn't say all the time they have their moments, but for the most part, like everything they do, I'm just like, I made this, I grew this human and like now they're separate from me. And that's how I view like the universe too, is like the universe like created all of this. And like, it seems like we're separate, but we're not really separate. Like those kids are still a piece of me. And, um, so they ground me a lot and kind of remind me to just live in a place of gratitude and, and I do, I go to um, a meeting every week and we say a prayer and all that, but that's really the extent of like the structure I put around it. Yeah. It's like you, you've got some structure and you're also just moving in that vein. Mm-hmm. You may just look at your kids and you feel it. Right. Yeah. And again, I mean, I think so much of it for me is just about like really trying to live it and not... Um, you know, not just like talking the talk, but genuinely trying to be connected. Cause I know when I am like in the past, when I was, you know, a teen and going through all of that, like, no wonder I was disconnected. Like I was causing so much harm that it would have been impossible to be connected to anything. Um, and now I just feel so much more connected to everybody, um, that it makes it, I think easier for me to like practice those spiritual principles. Yep. There's like maturity in your spirituality in a way, not that you're ever finished moving in that vein or learning, but there's like a maturity, a deep kind of well in you that allows you just to move with it. Yeah. And I think, um, I know for myself, I'm like highly motivated by pain. And so I imagine at some point if things get dark again or get hard, but like, as you said, it is life. Like it's bound to happen. Um, I know what has worked in the past and like what I can do to try to like refine that connection and grow again. And it's constantly evolving. So at some point, I think there's a really good chance that I might have um, a more structured routine. You know, personally, I would love to attend like that mile high church that I told you about. Um, But it's like, 20 minute drive from my house, which won't be a big deal someday when my kids are older and can stay home alone. But currently like I'm in the thick of it and like driving anywhere with my kids and trying to convince them to do a Sunday school or sit still. Like it's all just really, really hard right now. Um, but someday it would be neat to check things like that out and do more exploring. Yeah. You know, and and you're saying it's really hard right now and just sitting across the room from you as you're saying it, you're almost smiling. Like things are hard, which is, Mm -hmm. which is building on what you've been saying, but there's still this well of like, there's a lightness in you. I can just kind of see it as you're saying like, things are really hard right now, but they won't always be. Yeah. 
And that's how I feel. Like right now, like I am a mom. Like that's basically like I work and and I mom all the time. And I don't get a lot of time with my friends. Um, and so it can be really lonely. But I think on like you were saying, like I just have this acceptance of like right now I'm raising these humans and there's nothing more important in the world. And someday, like this is not going to last forever. I will have time for my friends again and for my hobbies and, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't feel permanent or ominous or like it will never get better. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful, beautiful way to put it. And, and as a mom, clearly your priorities are right in alignment with, you know, raising your children. It's the most important thing you can do. It is. This is awesome. I really, really appreciate you doing this. Thank I think you for it, having me. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, it's been a solid eight, 10 months or so since I heard you speak and we talked. Yeah. I think it was actually over the holidays we were talking and we kind of lost track. Mm -hmm. uh, it's August right now, 2022. So several months passed, but um, I really appreciate you staying and be, you know, staying with me and reaching out to me when I, when I reached out to you and, um, and just doing this like I, it, these stories are so wonderful to get out to the world and hopefully help others yeah well i definitely um enjoyed talking about all of it with you and hearing your experiences um it just blows my mind like i never would have believed things like this before and then now i'm just like it's so cool <laughs> yeah yeah and the more i do this the more stories I hear from others yeah. and it just gives more and more goosebumps and more and more motivation totally. just to keep telling the stories. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Stella. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Stella. What an amazing discussion. Her courage to be able to express all of this publicly. She experienced 10 years of intense pain. Starting at the age of 12, those most formative years, 10 years where she could not see her way out. And then all of a sudden awakened by a single moment. By these, this, this, maybe not one single moment, but a series of, of dragonfly appearances that shook her awake. All of that darkness, an entire decade. And the dragonflies woke her up. Everyone was trying to help her family. All of the, all of the counselors, all of the therapists. Something finally transformed within her. She asked for help and help came. It was within her all, of, all along. Here's a quote from St. Francis of Assisi. All of the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. All of the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. That light was in Stella the entire time. She was detached she felt separate from everyone. And in just a short window, she woke up. Here are some of the quotes from Stella. There isn't a disconnect between people. We are all part of the universe. You and me and every other thing, we are all God. Everything is God and the universe. She said this as she was describing that detachment she felt and then, be, and then felt one with her awakening. What a powerful, powerful realization to feel so removed and dark and then one with everyone and the universe.
She goes on and she says, I don't believe that somebody is in control of everything, but yet at the same time, it can make dragonflies appear over my head and do all of these mystical things. My understanding of it is limited. I can't make sense of that. And she, she interpreted with this statement, kind of the, how that darkness leads to the light. The lower the lows, the higher the highs, she said. The dark and the light coexisting. The deeper the suffering, the greater the chance of the awakening. With Stella and so many others, for some reason, that suffering has to become so bad that awakening happens. Speaking of dragonflies, if you look online, just do a quick search, dragonfly meaning. The first thing that came up on my computer stated, in almost every part of the world, the dragonfly symbolizes change, transformation, adaptability, and self-realization. The change that is often referred to has its source in mental and emotional maturity and understanding the deeper meaning of life. So cool. God, the universe, however it works, sent her a message. She knows it. She feels it. Every cell. It changed the course of her life through dragonflies. And if you look deeper online, research, research dragonfly meaning deeper, You'll see all kinds of connections between religion and spirituality. Um, there's some darkness associated with dragonflies, some, you know, lightness. Um, but, but dragonflies themselves, uh, no matter how, uh, a culture views them have significance. And this is no joke. And I hesitate to even tell this story because it just kind of it sounds a little dramatic, but several months ago it was over right now. It's uh, September of 2022. It was around the holidays of last year when I was originally talking to Stella and I was trading messages with her mom and with her, and I was doing dishes in my house one day and I was contemplating how to tell this story and how to honor Stella and her family. And I no kidding. I, I looked out my window as I was doing dishes. And there was a dragonfly attached to the antenna of my truck and it just captivated me. And I vibrated with goosebumps and I knew that a message was being sent. It's so powerful. And I don't tell that story to over dramatize it. It's more of this is happening to all of us at all times. It's happening to Stella. It's happening on the antenna of random person's truck who's attached to Stella. However, this works. It's real. How do these things happen? How, how, what is it? Who is it? You know, if you listen to Stella, she, she sees it as the higher power that's very difficult to explain. There's so much information out there with technology. If you, if one, uh, researches Suzanne Giesman, who's, who's a medium, an evidence-based medium, or Anita Morjani, who had a near-death experience. There are authors like this that help us understand if it's at all possible to understand the higher power, explain these stories, somehow try to interpret them. I think spiritual teachers, Stella, so many people that go through these things will claim that 
spiritual awakening is available to all of us. The ability to transcend pain, anxiety, and depression is available to everyone. And it is within us. Thank you for listening today. Thank you so much, Stella, for having the courage to tell your story publicly. A couple of quotes to finish. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in by Leonard Cohen. And a very similar quote again from the poet Rumi. The wound is the place where the light enters you. Thank you again for listening.